Welcome, Disciple Makers, and thank you for joining us. The Georgia Baptist Mission Board Discipleship Team, led by Scott Sullivan, exists to help churches take the next step toward becoming a healthy, disciple-making church. We've developed tools to help you, like the Watershed Principle, the Spark Conference. Access it today at thesparkconference.com. We're also setting up learning communities across Georgia. Find a community near you at gabaptist.org slash discipleship. Now let's join today's broadcast. Welcome to Georgia Baptist Discipleship, where we seek to bring you the best discipleship practices and principles. Today, I've got Dr. PJ Dunn, our Northern Region Discipleship Consultant, and he's developed a, a discussion here with Dr. No Noe Garcia. And Noe is pastor in Phoenix. He's a ETBU, East Texas Baptist University, uh, my alum there, like myself. And uh, make sure that you listen to the end because we're going to be sharing with you one thing you can do to be a better disciple maker in 2023. Now, let me give a reminder. I want to say thank you to our listeners because you guys have been interacting with us about 16,000 times per month across our platform. So thank you for trusting us and engaging consistently and for sharing that with others. Now, um, I did hear something about free, so it's absolutely true. We're going to be giving out some free product today, so make sure that you leave a comment, um, and you'll get entered into that drawing for free product. Now, if you share today's link on your page or in your groups, you'll get double entry into the drawing. And are you ready for this? You just may get an opportunity to race PJ Dunn down the man-made snow slopes of Lake Lanier Islands in North Georgia in an inner tube. Now, wow. uh, PJ, let me be clear. You'll be wearing more than an inner tube, but you'll be racing in an inner tube, right? I, I don't like the limitations you're putting on this. Oh, here we like go. It's already starting. We should race. <laughs> it's already starting. Hey, man, introduce our guest. <laughs> I'm excited to have uh, Noe on today. I, you know, we, we met each other um, almost a year ago at a multicultural conference over there. Mark Hearn was doing that. And um, man, just uh, hearing your heart and, and passion you know, and, and just seeing that fire still alive and the rawness of it is what just really engaged me when you were talking and, uh, and getting to hang out and uh, talk for a little bit there. And, and it was really good. So I do want to clarify one thing. Are we saying your name right? Because I already said I'm having you on to somebody else. And he's like, are you sure you're saying it right? And so is it is it Noe? Is that right? Yes, you're saying it right. All right. All right. Because I also love Christmas. So I always want to put an L at the end of it and uh, and be happy when I see your name. But um, man, we uh, we're, we're excited to have you on. And thanks for all you do uh, for Southern Baptist. Um, you're very involved and really out there advocating um, in, in mighty ways. And so that can that can be a challenge some days. I'll just say it that way. And so we're so glad that you're supportive and uh, for everything that you do. And so uh, what we want to talk about today really is um, that brokenness that is part of being a disciple maker. And, and in that brokenness, you know, it can't be, it can't be faked. And, and as we travel as consultants and we meet people, and I know you meet, you meet people and write articles with Lifeway, you know, some, some leaders just may not have experienced that brokenness moment yet. And, and sometimes it just holds back that uh, richer discipleship impact. It's not that we don't see people doing great things. Um, it's hard to look at someone and say, you're broken, you're not. So, so we're not trying to, to create a formula so you can break yourself, so you can be a better, that, that would be a program. What we're talking about is uh, when God really just touches your heart and your life in a way that you're just completely dependent on him. And we'll get into that in a little bit. But 
but accepting that brokenness and, and sharing it is a, is a, is a big deal because disciples are not just numbers. You know, so, so often we just say, how many are running in Sunday school? How many are running in groups? But they're people. And, and when we see people, not a program, we can't help but give away a little bit of ourselves every time when we make disciples. And, and that can be exhausting, um, it, but it's also more rewarding when we slow down and just see people for who they are, get to know their testimony, their story, where are you from? And, and it just becomes uh, like, I don't care how many are there on Sunday, but I know that the Lord is bringing the right ones. And, and that kind of mindset really only happens when you know what it's like to be reached out to uh, in your brokenness and then share that. So um, we, we often um, hear you like, what program do I need to start? Like, how, how would I revamp my Sunday school? And, and, you know, before we start another discipleship program, I think we just have to start with ourselves and, and being fully broken in that. And so you talk about this in your book, The, the Repurposed, uh, Shameless Plug. Uh, go buy it. It's a great book. Um, it will encourage you because of the transparency and authenticity of every chapter, which is very refreshing um, because we want our leaders to be that way in their, in their churches. Because, um, you know, you, you say it this way, God can take our mess and turn it into his message. And, and if we're not willing to, to be that, um, then he can't do that. And so, you know, that's where I kind of want to start a little bit. Uh, Noe, is just talk about, um, you know, your uh, dependence on God when that happened for you and identify that moment and maybe some things that were, were all around that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for having me. I love what you guys are doing and the, the emphasis on discipleship, which is so important, obviously a, a command. And so thank you guys for what you do. You know, I would say um, in my life and in my ministry, um, I've seen these different moments that God has used to draw greater dependence. And so let, let me speak from a ministry uh, standpoint. Uh, I believe one of the greatest moments I had is what I call a Red Sea moment. Um, I became a senior pastor at North Phoenix for the very first time ever being a senior pastor from being a college pastor. When I was a college pastor, it's like I was the golden boy. I could do no wrong. Right? I'm taking out college students for coffee, for lunches. Um, and what I didn't realize is that I wasn't making really any big decisions that impacted people's lives. Um, and when I got into the seat as a senior pastor, uh, the decisions I began to make had a much greater ripple effect than they did when I was a college pastor. Mm. And I wasn't ready for not being liked. I have to be honest. Mm. Um, I thought when I was a college pastor that people liked me because of my charisma, because I was a communicator, because it just seemed like it was easy to be liked by college students. What I didn't recognize is that little by little, and I didn't see it, that maybe there was ego that began to get built up in me. Um, there was a, there was a um, dependence on my skill set and what I can bring to the table to build a ministry. I was so self-sufficient and didn't even realize it. Mm -hmm. It was almost like, man, I'm doing great. And, you know, God, I got it from here kind of thing. Thanks for, what, thanks for the giftings you've given me. And I know that sounds very egotistical, uh, but it was true and it was ego. And I don't think I'm the only minister who probably struggles with depending on your skill set and forsaking the, the dependence of the spirit. Uh, when I got to North Phoenix, uh, I'm telling you, I couldn't preach a sermon that was good enough. Um, I couldn't make a leadership decision that was good enough. I felt like I couldn't do anything right. And um, man, I felt like people just hated me. I felt like when I walked in the room, 
Um, I was the least liked guy in the church that I was pastoring. And it was it was misery. It was absolutely misery. Um, you know, you'd get emails every Sunday being corrected about something, whether it was dress, whether it was grammar. And, and when you when that happens over and over and over, it's um, I think Thomas Tom Rainer said this like ministry's death by a thousand cuts. That's what it felt like. I felt like um, I was constantly getting cut and starting to bleed out. To where I ended up in, in deep, 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 deep depression, deep depression. It was so hard to preach a sermon. It was so hard. Somebody would shoot me an email asking for a lunch meeting and I'd have PTSD. I, I, you know, what is this about? What do you want to talk about? And I was just, so I walked into ministry, arms wide open. I want to love everybody. And little by little, I began to close my arms and really guard myself. And um, I broke down one Sunday morning in my office and started crying, hit the floor, depressed, just saying, God, I hate this church. I hate the ministry. I don't want to do this. I don't want to be here, but I had nowhere to go. I couldn't tell anybody I was dealing with depression because I was afraid I would get let go. Um, so I wrestled by myself with my wife um, and I hit the ground. I'll never forget this. I felt like when I hit the ground, I was crying. This was right before I had to preach a Sunday morning sermon. Uh, for the first three years, I would throw up every morning before I preached, uh, just filled with anxiety. And that's no exaggeration. It was every single Sunday. Hmm. And I hit the ground and it's like the Lord revealed to me um, that I had been so self-sufficient. And I, I had almost just forsaking, forsaken the dependence on, uh, of, on him. Because the truth is, um, my skill set, my charisma, my leadership was not good enough to shepherd the people of God. I was depending on myself to build his church. And he revealed that. And it was a humiliating, broken, broken day that I called the Red Sea moment. I got to a moment of the Red Sea of ministry that I couldn't part. And he made me recognize you cannot do it. You will never be able to do it. <laughs> depend on me. That's, that's changed everything about the way I do ministry. Yeah. And, you know, as I was thinking about, you know, the two phases you were talking about, um, um, introvert and extroverted pastors deal with this differently, but the same exact results. So extroverted guys that can talk to, you know, a tree and have a great day, you know, that's me, you know, I, I can talk to anything. And, uh, and so you think your extroverted happiness will carry the discipleship forward. And you realize that's not enough. Well, as an introverted um, pastor, and I've, and I've talked to several to just like try to understand because I'm just so far from that. And, th and they'll say the same thing. Well, if I was just an extrovert, then this would be easier, but I'm an introvert. And so it's harder for me to do these really. But we both end up at the same wall where we have to have dependence on God to do these things, the spirit to do these things and stop stop leaning on us. And so you, good. Your, your Red Sea moment is, um, you know, what I call my island on Island called Patmos. Um, uh, there was a sermon when I was at a Southwestern Seminary, and, and the whole thing was on that. Um, and you know, for me, that was we were in Galveston. I was in between ministry jobs and uh, did all the right things a seminarian should do. You know, I'd had the master's degree and applied to all these places, had experience, and nothing was coming to fruition. And and so I'm in between working a couple of jobs on the side, and um, and so I was looking out over the ocean. And I just said, God, fix it like that complete. Like, I, I don't even know how to put together a real fun prayer right now, Lord. Like, all I can say is just fix it. And when you fix it, 
I know this is going to change. And, um, and that's where, you know, my, my passion for singles uh, started to come with Table for One Ministries was to ministry, not a paycheck. The idea that God didn't call us to that part, he just called us to be faithful to ministry. And, and that's why it's so close to my heart. And so those moments where God gets our full attention, we remember what it smells like, what it looked like. We could you know, tell you where we were sitting and all those kind of things. And I feel like that's those vivid moments in the Old Testament where they say, put a rock here and remember what happened here, because it's important to remember what happened here and on that. Um, so yeah, Scott. That's awesome. And, and I would just say this, Noe, thanks for writing the book. Um, I found myself when I was reading the beginning portions of it, that man, we was talking about you considering suicide and moments of failure and the sexual abuse you went through as a child and those mind games that pastors um, are dealing with that the enemy is is working through in their minds and and then you deal with the the healing and redemption and the how to part of that and there was a part of it it seems like Romans eight seems to be a cornerstone scripture in the book um, can you talk to us about maybe just give us an overview of the book of, of why you wrote it and why you leaned so heavily into Romans 8? Absolutely. So um, I was discussing with Lifeway, uh, I had several book ideas, which one to put out first. And because I was a new author, uh, we felt like, hey, maybe um, putting yourself out there, helping people understand um, who you are, but most importantly, who God is in our stories. And part of that was the authenticity uh, to be honest, I, I hadn't publicly shared about my sexual abuse, uh, being sexually abused as a child um, for 30 something years until I wrote this book. Wow. It was kind of this secret because there was so much shame attached to it. And I just thought people are going to look at me differently. Um, are they going to be able to follow me as their shepherd? Are they going to think I'm gross or something's wrong with me? So, man, there was a, as I was writing, there was a lot of healing that went on. But here's why I did it um, because we all have a story. Um, no matter what it is, we all have a story. Um, but more than our story, I, um, I wanted to point people to what brings true healing. Um, my testimony and, and what God has done may bring people encouragement and inspiration, uh, but only the word of God can bring true healing. And so I didn't just want to share my testimony to relate so that people knew that they weren't alone. While that's very important, I wanted to share my testimony, but most importantly, highlight how the word of God and the power of God can bring healing uh, to these areas of our lives. And so that was that was the reason why I wanted to be so biblically rooted uh, so people can clearly see how God's word uh, impacts our, our lives. So that, that's why I took that route with Romans 8. Yeah, let me let me divert here for just a moment. Um because you know this is a discipleship broadcast, and we talk a lot about groups. And you know, in the book, you talk about how scripture helped you. And I've heard you before; we've interacted before, and you've talked about how uh, pivotal your wife's own role and relationship with your wife was in this process of you getting through that and healing and all. Is there was there another portion? Was there a group? Do you have, a, or did you have, or do you have a, a, a small group, uh, something, a group of people around you that are helping you process, that you meet with, that Old Testament, Hesed, loyal connection um, that we read about? Absolutely. I needed some uh, Pauls in my life, um, some older men of God that have walked walked through what I've walked through, have been there, done that. And so I had about three different uh, men of God who were really discipling me through this. Um, and they, each one of them was interesting. One was really great with leadership. Uh, another was really great uh, in leading my wife and helping me do that. 
And so I think um, I've always had what I would call uh, lifeline discipleship men in my life who I can call and pick up the phone and really share anything to, anything to. As a pastor, uh, when you get wounded over and over and over, um, you learn to some degree not to always share or you kind of, I, I've unfortunately kind of become a little guarded because I'm afraid, who can I share with? Who can I trust? Who's not going to betray me? Um, and, and so I have about three men in my life. And the thing about discipleship, what I've recognized, this has been my prayer. I've prayed for the last three years, God help me wash the feet of those who I know will, will potentially hurt me. And that's what I've learned about discipleship. For the longest time, I invested in people and I thought it bought me loyalty. Mm. And so when those people that I invested in would hurt me, whether intentionally or unintentionally, they cut deep. And it's almost like I wanted to stop investing in them. And I recognize like, no, discipleship and my investment shouldn't buy me loyalty. And that's what I'm doing. I'm thinking that because I'm investing in you, you ought to be uber loyal to me and never hurt me. Uh, but that wasn't true with Jesus, with his disciples. One denied, one betrayed, one doubted. And so who are we for that not to happen to us? And by the way, I'm sure I have hurt people too unintentionally. And so I think that's been one thing about discipleship that I've really changed my perspective of not just investing in those who love me and think I hung the moon, uh, but investing in those who are the sheep and God's yeah. called me to invest in as a pastor. That is so good. Now, you, you mentioned something. I got to pull on this thread. Because the, in your book, you talk about how depression is the leading cause of disability in uh, Americans 15 to 44. Depression is the number three workplace issue in America. And suicide is the number two leading cause of death in U.S. for ages 15 to 44. And so much of what you have just said right there, gosh, my heart is just stirred. And what your book writes about is a mindset issue. There's so much mental involved in what we are talking about right here. And you even mentioned the quote, True thoughts have a short lifespan. And on the other hand, lies set up a post and they become long, faithful residents. Man, when I read that quote, I just stopped for a moment and began to marinate on that because that can be so true and devastating. So here's what I'd love for you to do. Just, just briefly, can you unpack that, that quote about how true thoughts have a short lifespan for us? Yeah, uh, you know, when you look at the stats, most of us, um, the research shows that we chew on negative thoughts, you know, about 80, 80% of the day, just negative, 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 negative. Um, and I'm like that. Uh, I, often my thoughts will take me captive. I can become a prisoner to my own thoughts. And, yes. and I'm not sure how I got there, to be honest with you, but it's almost like um, dwelling on what's good. Um, I'm afraid to dwell on what's good because I don't want to be disappointed when it doesn't last. And so therefore I can be more comfortable living in the negative or in my failures, because then I won't be as disappointed. Now, I know I just shared some very unhealthy thought process thinking that I have, <laughs> but I'm, I'm probably not the only one. So it's a fight. It is an absolute fight for me. And it's exhausting to have to sit and live on the truth and, and just sit um, in this place of joy and freedom and hope. Um, that's not easy. It's not easy at all. And so that's why I said truth ha seems to have a short lifespan. Now, not, not that I mean that the word of God has a short lifespan. We know that's right. not true. I mean the truth that we believe, live, and behave off of. Because um, my behavior doesn't always reflect what I say I believe. 
And so why does it have a short lifespan? I'm not sure. I'm not sure if it's too hard for us to sit on that truth and it's easier to believe the lies. Um, but that's what I've found to be true for many people, including myself. Hey, PJ, let me throw a question. I'd like to get your thoughts right here because we just threw out a, this is monumental. This mental, this, this thought process, the self-discipline of what you allow to speak into your life is so huge. And I'd love to hear from you. And if, if Noe has another thought here, maybe just real briefly, is there a personal practice that either of you guys have to battle that? Gosh. Um, you know, the, I try to draw on stories in scripture to remind me nothing's new under the sun. So like when, uh, no, when you were just sharing, I thought, yeah, the Israelites thought Egypt was pretty good. And so like reminding myself that, you know, hundreds and thousands of years ago, somebody went through the same thing, reading Romans seven, where Paul says, this is a struggle. This isn't great. I'm why, you know, I, I'm an Enneagram one. So everything should be perfect, Scott. And I know what perfect is. And so I'm <laughs> constantly having to, to surround myself with people to answer your question that, that really helped me process verbally. Like, where is that? And how does that line up with God's word? Because left to my own devices, I'll just think, you know, this is what that thought is. And so, so challenging the process is a big part of my leadership is a big part of preaching and those kind of things. So surrounding yourself with people, like you're saying to me, like that don't always agree with you and sometimes rake on your nerves, but they really do bring out that one thing or that, that one point that you hadn't thought of, cause you don't live where they live and you go, ah, oh, that's, that's, that's helpful. So that, mm -hmm. that's how I would answer that. Yeah. I, I would say one thing that I've learned is, I don't know if you guys do this as leaders and as pastors, but there are some times that I can overread things. If there's a passive aggressive comment, I'll think, mm -hmm. was that at me? Or if there's a post on social media, I was like, was that towards me? And, you know, whether I'm right or wrong, here's what happens. I start to dwell on it. And I think one of two things, number one, maybe that's not about me. Maybe I, I just need to leave that alone. Or number two, it is about me. And if it is, what am I going to do about it? Which leads me to the next thing. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. Just let God take care of all that stuff. I mean, it does me no good to dwell, to be upset, to be frustrated. So it really is, I filter it. Is that me? Is it God? Is it the enemy? Either way, I got to leave it up to God to, to do the rest. That's helped me a lot. It's helped me tons. Whether I feel like a deacon doesn't like me or a staff member's upset with me, I always want to fix this stuff and it drives me crazy until it's fixed. But I'm learning to say, God, you, you just take care of it. You take care of it. If there's anything I've done, I need to go own it. But if not, and my mind is just going crazy, take care of it, God. Yeah, and I want to, and I'll, and I'll double down on that a little and just say, you know, it's almost like we do doubt God can use areas of our life for his ministry. And you, you say it as, you know, our junk is his masterpiece. And, and it is, but we don't allow him to. And so we do feel like we're going to fix it. Like if, and that's one question I'll have to ask myself, am I fixing this or is God fixing this? Yeah. And what part do I have in this equation to be faithful? Well, I have to be faithful in these ways, but I can't go more than 50%. Like the Holy Spirit's still got to do his part. God's still got to do his part. The Lord's got to work in, in the heart of the person. And so I do find myself overreaching. And then that's when I become unhealthy where I'm like, I can, I can fix it. So that dependence thing, right. It, it, it pulls us back onto that. And, and I want to ask you both this question. So you know, that brokenness and dependence in your testimony, how's that translated into disciple making? Um, you know, I think those are very correlated things in, in my life, but I'd love to, I'd love to hear from y'all. So um, uh, Scott, uh, why don't you just tell us like, how have those, uh, the brokenness, you know, what, what's happened, how God's 
used you turned into how you make disciples? How's that changed? Uh, it gives me empathy that I can't get any other way. When I have, you know, PJ, I think even yesterday, you and I talked about that you and I, pieces of our story, give yeah. us a ministry that nobody wants. And, and those difficult circumstances allow us to have an empathy you just can't get any other way. I'm reminded of a quote from General um, Norman Schwarzkopf. He's a U.S. commander, Operation Desert Storm in 91. He said this, success without adversity is not only empty, it's impossible. And that's a, that's a great description of my life. Yeah. I mean, much of my life has been a struggle with lots of pain that led to lots of wins. And uh, A.W. Tozer said it this way, it's doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he's hurt him deeply. Mm. And I don't, I'll be honest with you, I don't like that statement, but I would agree with it. And it seems like the bigger my obstacle and the bigger my pain, the bigger the impact on the other side of faithfulness. Yeah, I would agree with Scott. And that's, Scott, that's one, that's a, uh, that Tozer quotes, one I use often with my staff members. I love it. And you know what I've seen, you're, that, that brokenness has led to empathy. And um, then there's another side that I've recognized about discipleship. There's that, that positive side of my brokenness can lead to empathy. But then there's that negative side as well. Um, as leaders, we all have um, areas where we leak and may in, impact people negatively, whether we are controlling whether we don't trust, whether we are dismissive, whether we are protective. I have recognized that my brokenness, while God is bringing healing to it, that there's still some areas that my brokenness can leak. And so I have learned to be um, guarded, which can come off as um, reserving or holding back my love and grace from people. And they feel it. And I don't recognize I'm doing it. And so sometimes on the other side, uh, my brokenness can impact my discipleship in a negative manner that I don't even know is happening because I've learned how to be protective of myself. I've learned how, you know, from being molested at five years old to being beaten, to you learn how to just fend for yourself and guard and protect yourself. Well, unfortunately, there's still some of that residue in me as a leader to, well, I only have about a pint of blood to shed, so I better protect myself, you know, be careful. And uh, it's not, not a healthy way to do things. So, I would say there's a negative impact that it can have on discipleship as leaders, and there's a positive as well. Hmm. Yeah, and it's and it's all on how God God uses it, and and um, and that's what I'm seeing. We lack most in Sunday school and big church, and and it's this it's this level of transparency where nobody wants to say it, but somebody says it. And you've you've mentioned that earlier, just about how when you say it, somebody else walks up in the room and says, "Hey, I I struggle with that that too," but like we're scared to do that, and so pastors that are listening here in, in Georgia, you know, this is, um, this is a big part of when you preach on Sunday and open God's word. And you also open you and you mm -hmm. say, this is how God has worked in my life. And these are, you know, your, your personal examples hit the pew differently. And so, you know, as we travel and we get to share and meet with a lot of different people, that's, that's a resonating thing. Um, and out of that, um, you know, for me, disciple making looks differently because I really know the person. And, and so I used to see it as like this pipeline in this program. And if you complete this book and this book and this book, then you'll be a disciple. Mm. And, and I loved it because it made sense and I could put it on a, a sheet of paper. Um, but uh, uh, my last couple of places that I've served, it's been more of the relational. If I really care about you, then we really will do this disciple making thing, you to me and me to you. And so we just need to, to naturally think of one another, naturally talk about scripture and it's intentional, you know, it's, it still doesn't just have this off the, the rails thing to it. But, um, 
but I think it's just a major, major part of that in preaching. So let me, let me ask you uh, th- this question um, uh, to both of you. So maybe your one sentence description of what a disciple is, and then um, how to be a better disciple maker this year. Scott, you want to go first? Yeah, man, I will. Of course, you know, when we talk about disciple, the broader concept of that, let me give that for us as Georgia Baptist discipleship. We've defined it is this way. Discipleship is the lifelong process by which a person grows toward Christ-likeness and multiplies that experience. And my my view of what I'm seeing in churches, they tend to uh, understand that pretty well, but very few churches actually give a definition. And we've seen hundreds of those. My personal one comes from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 through 7, which I think are the best three word pictures in all of the scripture of what a disciple looks like. So I say it this way. A disciple is a committed, passionate, follower of Christ, committed coming from that image of a soldier, passionate coming from that image of an athlete, and then that faithful follower of Christ coming from that uh, picture of a farmer. Noe, as I, as I kick it off to you, I want to let everybody know that you did a, an excellent um, podcast with Ben Mandrell on the Glass House, and so they, you dive a little deeper into some of these things. So if anybody's watching and they're like, Man, they're cutting them off. Like, I want to hear it. I want to hear the whole thing. You could do this for an hour. Well, you did. And so, and with your wife. And so you can go over to his podcast. It's fantastic. The Glass House um, and follow him. So for you, what's, uh, you know, how do you define disciple for you, your church, you know, and then what's one way you can do it better this year? Yeah, I think I'm going to agree with Scott again. I mean, he hit the nail on the head. And it's interesting that he said this. Many churches don't define it. There was one uh, staff meeting we had, and I asked each of our uh, staffers to write on a piece of paper how do you define discipleship and how do you make a disciple? They all had different approaches. Right. And it was, we were all, and it, and it was me on me as a leader. I thought, man, I've been doing this for three years and we've never clearly defined yeah. what this is. So we were all shooting for different goals here. So we had to pull out our Bibles. What does the Bible say about it? I know that sounds silly, but we had to come up with a clear definition of what we're trying to accomplish here. And so I think the um, Scott, you know, I'd say, you know, hit the nail on the head on that aspect. I think it's important to bring the team together. Um, and, and have a clear definition so you know where you're going. I would say one, one thing to be a better disciple maker uh, is going to be intentionality. That's what I would say, intentionality. You, you know, we can do programs. We can have a lot of people show up at a program or Christmas Eve service. We can all do this stuff. But at the end of the day, can we honestly say that programs are making disciples? Yeah. Um, the program, in my opinion, is the net that catches the fish. Um, but then God has called us to fillet them. And so we have to mm. do our part and be intentional about it. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, that's a very graphic example. So I'm not sure, like, you know, I want to put an image up when I'm preaching <laughs> that one, but I do know it. <laughs> yeah. Really no, outdoorsman, bro. Show me the fish. Yeah. Hey, come, hey PJ, you got those horns back there, man. Come on. You can take I, this. I do. I do. Yeah. I got a gator. I got a couple of things back here. Yeah. So, um, that is uh, that is graphic. So um, <laughs> I, I would I would just say this and I'll, and I'll give it to you, Scott, to wrap up, I, you know, 80 percent, 85 percent of our pastors in Georgia are bivocational or single staff. You know, the most likely if you're watching this broadcast, it's it's you uh, full time or part time and, and you're leading in your church. And, and so you can only start where you're at. And so don't overthink, you know, all the different steps and I don't have the time and all these kind of just start where you're at you know, be the disciple that disciples will want to follow. When you start there, this thing will catch on and, and God will give you doors. And, and that deacon who's been 
closed all those things suddenly wants to go to lunch or breakfast and you get to know them. And that may be your one big win for the year is just to have one deacon that you become really close with and, and see a disciple making a disciple and you learn something from them. So um, don't, don't think it has to be this explosion thing sometimes right now. Like we always think you walk in the door and you're like, well, yeah, cause your church exploded. It was easy. And it's like, no, it ain't, you know, go read Paul Gothard's book, you know, and you're, I mean, nobody, most of these churches that you're like, oh, they're going and blowing. It's like, this was awful for like a decade. This was terrible. And, and, and we've invested in people because the slow and steady is what we see even with legality and what he talks about too. So there you go, Scott. Absolutely. And, and to answer the second part of your question, I'm going to cheat and give one sentence that has two pieces. I'd say be with Jesus and be in a group. Um, that, that response that I heard from Noah earlier was just beautiful because the people that we surround ourselves with can help us in this healing process. They will see things in us that, that we just don't see ourselves. Uh, so being in a group, and I would even, you know, the, that group's going to have to multiply at some time. And if you need, listen, those of you who are watching, if you need a, a paradigm of where to pull this from, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 is what I call generational discipleship. And that's where we get this idea of, of being with people, but multiplying that out. Now, let me land the plane here for us. And friends, I want to leave you with a thought from Noe's book, and he writes this, what they say about you cannot change what God has planned for you. And I would add, unless you allow it. So don't allow that stuff in, in, in your life. And you could also, like my dad said it this way, son, don't let stupid people flourish by giving them a voice. Mm. I never forgot that in my life. Just, you know, you, you, you have to control the voices that we allow in our life. So choose the voices that bring life, not the ones who bring death. And, and no, we may not know this, but Papa Sullivan is basically our shaman. So like we normally get like some new Papa Sullivan thing when Scott starts talking every time. So we got a whole list. <laughs> it is. It is. James Sullivan has brought a lot of it over the years. That's for sure. And uh, Noe, hey, man, thanks for being on with us. PJ, thanks for setting this up. Yeah, uh, Love the book. PJ will put a drop uh, link to that in the um, chats for everybody to, to be able to look at that if they want to get the book. And we do recommend that for folks. Thanks for being an ETBU alum. Uh, <laughs> super excited to have you in with us. Now, Noe, if folks have a question, hey, I want to follow up with a thought here. Uh, is there a way that they can get in contact with you? Or do you have a website or anything like that? Yeah, right off our church website. I don't have social media. Uh, right off our church website, my email is on there, nphx.org. Okay. Sounds great. PJ Dunn, thanks for being awesome, bro, and being a good, close, to, close trusted friend. Landon Melton, John Graham, thanks for producing. And I want to remind our listeners that we are only able to do this because you give to the cooperative program. So thank you. And I pray that today's discussion with Noe Garcia will equip you to think deeply, invest purposefully, and dream big as we make world-impacting disciples. Thanks for listening. We want to continue the conversation from today's broadcast in a learning community near you. These learning communities are designed to celebrate your biggest wins, resource your greatest need, and help you finish well. We also want to give you a free gift, the five discipleship shifts most churches need to make to produce world-impacting disciple makers. You can download this resource by going to ministryboom.com. This five-page PDF is a discipleship alignment checklist. The Georgia Baptist Mission Board is able to provide resources like this because of gifts from Georgia Baptists to the cooperative program. For more information on this broadcast and a customized discipleship plan for your church, 
visit gabaptist.org discipleship. Engage with us on your time through Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and all podcast platforms. Lastly, if you've benefited from this conversation today, please share this with a friend as we seek to help churches make world-impacting disciple makers.